Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. This is Kevin McNamara of the Providence Journal with uh, Bill Koch. Bill, welcome to the next edition of the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. Kevin, great to be here, especially at this time of year with conference play now in full swing for uh, soon-to-be all four of our Division One schools in the state. It's a busy time, needless to say. I, I was up in lovely Foxborough this morning and uh, Foxborough yesterday and going to miss the Friar game this weekend because there's a ball game out in Kansas City. But uh, who knows? Who knows what uh, the football gods will bring us this weekend? Now, I know the Patriots have done their fair share of scouting on the Chiefs. They played them earlier this year. What the people really want to know, Kevin, is have you done your scouting for the Kansas City barbecue scene? Well, um, at first, I wasn't even going to be in town in time for barbecue, uh, but uh, tropical. Uh, the what's the name of this uh, storm? G- Geo or uh, yeah, I don't know what they're going to name uh, this one. Yeah, I think it might be onto the H's. So this, this I can tell you what a, it is. It's kind of a new thing. It's Harper. Harper, as, as a matter of fact, okay. my assistant just told me that it's Harper, <laughs> and. Uh, yes. Harper is throwing a lot of curveballs on a travel situation, so it might buy me a rack of ribs. We'll see. Whenever I hear the words polar vortex, I kind of tune out and go into a, a little bit of a daze in well, terms of the weather. I will say this. People always say, you know, what sport do you like the best to cover? Sure. And mine is basketball. I played basketball as a kid. I really enjoy basketball. But And there's two reasons why I like basketball above all other sports. Number yep. one, it has a clock. Okay. Unlike baseball. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's indoors. Right. So I'm always going to be warm, and I do think of others, and I know the fans will always be warm. God bless those fans out in Kansas City on Ooh. Sunday night. You're not kidding. S- 640 kick. Uh, I mean, I think back to when the Patriots played the Titans, and I think it was the coldest Patriots playoff game Patri- in, in yes. history. Uh, I want to say it was three or four degrees, maybe. Adam Vinatieri makes a field goal from... I think it was around 40-odd yards. He's kicking a football that was like a rock, mm. pretty much. Um, yeah, but it's just another reminder of – Bill Belichick talks all the time about mental toughness, and these guys need to be mentally tough. When it's 10 degrees, can you really remember your assignments? Can you really focus on things other than, oh, my God, I'm cold? I think it was Brewski, maybe Teddy Brewski or Rodney Harrison, one of the two in the last couple of days they were – maybe talking about the game that you're referring to or another cold game. They said, what is it like to play defense in that situation? He says, uh, the first few hits, it's like getting electrocuted. Oh, it was Damian Woody. Damian Woody. Damian yes, Woody. It was. Like getting electrocuted. That's always fun. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at least they're running around and hitting people. The, fan, the people who sit up in Section 322 on a night when it's six degrees – God bless them. They've had a little enhancement before the game, we might say. Yeah, I certainly uh, hope so. And, and perhaps during the game as well. Uh, you know, but as you said at the start, thankfully, on the College Hoops beat, we don't have to worry about this sort of thing. Yes, and uh, you were at a nice, comfy uh, Ryan Center last night to watch Rhode Island uh, really grab a win they badly needed. Both URI and PC had home games this week that they badly needed to win and uh, came through. 
uh, with victories. We'll start with the Rams, 75-63 over the Bonnies. Uh, the Bonnies came in really struggling, and you could see why. Very, very different team than the last couple of years. Uh, they fell to 6-11 and uh, on the season, and the Rams did what they did. And, you know, I really thought that your coverage the last couple of days uh, was spot on because David Cox went out of his way to stress one thing defense and we saw an awful lot of that yeah that's what they've built their identity on the last two years when they've been in the NCAA tournament they wanted to be a good defensive team first and then let the offense sort of evolve over time you saw that last night uh, six for 25 from the field for the Bonnies in the first half only 20 points uh, URI finished on a 16 to 2 run it was an 18 to 18 game at one point URI builds a 14 point lead by halftime and, and realistically Kevin I think St. Bonaventure might be the team this year in the A-10 that most mirrors URI. They suffered heavy graduation losses, whether it be Jalen Adams, Matt Mobley, or Idris Taki. Um, Their offense is the worst it's been under Mark Schmidt in a decade. And if you get up on them by 14 points, considering the way they shoot and the lack of scores that they might have, there's probably going to be no coming back. Yeah, and and I like the way that Rhode Island did get up on them. Uh, Although they shot 51% in the first half, you know, they only made three threes and it was more on turnovers, you know, getting up in them. And God bless, uh, you know, Mark Schmidt, uh, you know, great guy from the lovely town of Attleboro, but he doesn't have a Jeff Doughton or a Cyril Langevin back. So their losses are even more intense than, than Rhode Island's are. But it just goes back. We've talked about the Atlantic 10. There are some teams that are rebuilding and down and you got to beat them. you got to take it to them. Yeah, especially at home as mm-hmm. well. Uh, you know, there are a couple things to take away from this. Uh, we've talked about Rhodey's struggles from the three-point line throughout the season. 13 attempts was a season low. Um, got to the foul line 26 times. I mm-hmm. know a lot of that was in the second half, but I think that speaks to the approach of, of trying to be aggressive and get the ball inside. 34 points in the paint, which they'd only exceeded once in their last seven games coming into this one. Uh, so it tells you that they were in attack mode trying to get to the rim. Um, And you could boil this down to one specific player, and that's Fats Russell, uh, someone who has come in for criticism from the URI fans, fairly or unfairly. Um, I think it's an overreaction to say that they should bench Fats or cut his minutes. With him on the floor, they need him to be good for this team to be the best version of what it's going to be. Last night, he's 6-for-9 from the field. It's the first time this season he's taken single-digit shots, mm. led the team with five assists, and had four steals. He was a complete pest on the defensive end. And maybe the you know go even deeper, of his nine field goal attempts, only two are from the three. You know, There's been too many games this year where we see Fats go one for seven, you know, two for ten from the three-point line. Uh, obviously, a focus on driving the ball, getting into the lane. And maybe that's really a reflection on the way St. Bonaventure played defense. I thought they played very hard, as they usually do, and they really pressed up on Fats Russell. And to his credit, he was able to go by him, uh, as was uh, Tyrese Martin. And uh, for Tyrese to get to the free throw line seven times just shows how aggressive he's become in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, first, well, second start for Tyrese Martin uh, in that game last night. And the first one with URI at full strength. Uh, he started the game at St. Louis. Fats Russell was out due to the concussion protocol. And you could see that URI in that game really missed a secondary ball handler alongside Jeff Doughton. They only scored 53 points in that game. Uh, but Tyrese Martin with his fourth straight game in double digits, the first freshman at URI to do that since E.C. Matthews in 2013-14. Uh, so that might give you an idea of what kind of player 
Tyrese is developing into a, a wing scorer, a long guy who can rebound a little bit. Um, he's eager to get out on the break. Uh, when you or I was able to force those turnovers last night, he had a couple follow-up dunks uh, on missed layups on the break. Um, you know, you're looking at a guy who was who blossoming in, in front of us and certainly something that you or I needed coming into the year. We knew that in order for them to be good, the freshman would have to mature quickly. And, and he's certainly at the front of that four-man group in terms of where he's at at this point. I'm curious what you thought of Christian Thompson first game for him coming off the bench, and yet he still you know played 24 minutes. So it's it's not a uh, you know minute thing. Uh, it's more of a mental thing for him at this stage. Um, I, I think there were a couple interesting things to take away from that game. Uh, first, in those 24 minutes, he was plus 22, which was a team high. Uh, I know that plus minus doesn't necessarily tell the complete story of your contribution. He didn't have a very impressive line in terms of his own personal stats. But if you were going to be selfish and mope on defense and allow the other team to score on you at will, you would not be plus 22 in the game. Certainly not over that long a period. Uh, something else that, that Fats Russell said after the game, and I think it speaks to the guys who are trying to fill the leadership void on this team after the five seniors graduated. Uh, you know, Fats said we had a, a players-only meeting, a team meeting, uh, and we said to each other it's not the coach, it's us. And that meeting was presided over by Jeff Doughton, Cyril Langevin, and Christian Thompson. So maybe you know, the value that he's giving them in the locker room, off the floor, is going to be equal to what he gives them on the floor the rest of the way. That's good. That's excellent. Uh, and the Rams going forward, uh, hit the road at LaSalle next? At LaSalle on Saturday. Yeah, La- LaSalle's been a really interesting team because I think we, we thought that they would be you know middle of the road, bottom of the heap, and they've had some bad losses and some encouraging Recent uh, performances. Yeah, a new coach in Ashley Howard, who was on the Villanova staff previously. Kevin, you, you could probably speak to that better than I. Yeah, very good recruiter. Um, you know, they've had some, some interesting games. Uh, you know, lost a lot of single-digit games here. Uh, lost to Villanova by seven. Um, you know, they beat UMass on the road. First game in the Atlantic 10, which was a big surprise. They lost to VCU on the road by six in a game that they led, I think, by 14 in the first half. Uh, their last game was a three-point loss to George Washington at home. Uh, you know, they are dealing with a, a talent deficit there. Uh, a couple names that you would know, obviously, Pookie Powell, who's sure. been there for a little bit, the Memphis transfer. Uh, David Beatty, who transferred from South Carolina. He was a, a high school teammate of... Fats Russell, if memory serves. He was, yes. And Saul Fury. And Saul Fury, uh, the Massachusetts guy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, LaSalle is going to play tough. They look like a team that's playing for a first-year coach. There's a great amount of effort there. They actually feel a lot like Dan Hurley's first team at URI. They play really hard. They're just undermanned. Uh, That said, URI's playing three out of the next four on the road. They're 2-2 and in the league. This is going to be a pretty good test for them. You've got LaSalle, VCU at home, who is really tough. Mm. At UMass, at Duquesne. Neither of those will be easy either. No, that's a four-game stretch where, you know, if I had to put my odds maker's hat on, I'd say maybe LaSalle is the, you know, quote, easiest of the three road games. Um, and then a home game, you know, VCU's VCU. You know, the, I, I think they're not quite back, but they're getting there. They're playing really good defense this yeah. year. And, and if you look beyond this point in the schedule, after UMass and Duquesne on the road, St. Louis home, Davidson away. Dayton home, which I think is their toughest three-game stretch of the year. So, you you or I, thankfully for them, uh, played well against St. Bonaventure, gave them something to carry forward 
into this next stretch of three or four games, and they're going to need to sustain that because it's really going to get hard here over the next month or so. No question. I'm going to flip to the Friars. Uh, Providence uh, in a desperate mode on Tuesday night against Seton Hall came through with a 72-63 win, and it was interesting, uh, an awful lot of back and forth after the game, uh, Bill, because Seton Hall was in a last of a, I believe it was four of five on the road, which is just brutal. And, you know, they looked tired in the second half. The Pirates led at the half 33-30. In the second half, they really got sloppy with the ball, and they ended up with 12 of their 22 uh, turnovers. Providence hasn't forced 22 turnovers uh, against a Big East team in, in a little bit. So, um, you know, really interesting, you know, spin by the Friars in the second half. They also went with a unique lineup. Smaller and more aggressive, they put David Duke off the ball and into a attacking scoring role, and sure enough, he came up with uh, 16 of his 18 points in the second half. Uh, so it was Duke, Malik White, Makai Ashton Langford, and Alpha Diallo. Uh, you know, really a, a, a small kind of aggressive team that ended up, uh, you know, getting the job done. First, good observation by you on Seton Hall playing on the road. Not easy trips either. If you talk about at Xavier, at DePaul, at Marquette were three of those games. That's long travel for a team from New Jersey. It's not like they're playing Villanova and Georgetown and Providence. Right. With some good success in that stretch. Yes. Uh, you know, one at Xavier to start off 2-0 in the league, one at home against Butler. Uh, so they end up 3-3 three and three mm-hmm. after the loss to Providence. Um, good thing for the Friars in this game, and, and it's odd. We haven't had this discussion in the last couple of years with URI and Providence this early in terms of desperation or needing wins. They've both been in good position in terms of the NCAA tournament for multiple seasons now. Uh, for Providence, you're looking at this game and you're thinking if they lose, they have to go to Marquette which is going to be really, really difficult. And then Xavier. And then Xavier, where they've never won. Uh, you know, so you'd be talking about a team with, with very little confidence by that point. Uh, you know, what we saw the other night was something that Ed Cooley has done pretty consistently in his time here at Providence, which is play two ball handlers together, and, and maybe three. Um, and David Duke's performance allowed him to do that. It was a nice breakout for the Providence native. Uh, he was three for three from three-point range. He made his free throws in this game. Um, only had one turnover in 30 minutes. I, I thought it was his best game by far in a Friars uniform. Yeah, I, 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 it's either that or the uh, effort he had against South Carolina down at Mohegan Sun in November. But, boy, that seems like you know eons ago. He definitely hasn't uh, had that type of an offensive performance since that uh, South Carolina game. So, Obviously, good to see. Uh, I, I think it was interesting that Providence really attacked Miles Powell. Uh, the Big East is blessed this year with three really explosive high-scoring guards. Powell's averaging 22 a game for Seton Hall. Shamari Pons is over 24 St. John's. And then the, the king of explosions, Marcus Howard at uh, Mr. 53. Yeah, Marquette. At Marquette. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and, you know, they what they did is uh, they went at Powell with multiple defenders, but when he went into ball screens, they froze the screen a lot and double-teamed him. Kind of dared Powell to find the open man, and uh, he ended up with four turnovers and only four field goals. So probably the best defensive effort by the Friars this season against a quality opponent. Well, and you look at what Providence, I'm sure, thought on paper going into the season. The personnel that they had 
David Duke is a long defender, guy with long arms and good feet who can hedge off ball screens and give guys trouble off the dribble. Malik White is an energy guy who can go in in short spurts. Now, he played 32 minutes in this game. He's had to play more minutes because A.J. Reeves is hurt. Right. But he's an energy guy, a physical guy, strong guy on the perimeter who can harass opposing guards. You also had Makai Ashton Lankford took his turn, and he had two steals in this game. Uh, so I think maybe that collective approach is probably what Ed Cooley had in mind going into the year against an opposing scoring guard like Miles Powell. And I think in this game, the Friars executed it very well against him and against Quincy McKnight, who had six turnovers. It'll be interesting to see how that carries over into the next game where Providence now has to face Howard. And, you know, I know Villanova is undefeated in the league and the defending national champs. Uh, I think they're the best. I think Marquette might be the best team in the league just because of their uh, the variety of players that they have. They have an elite scoring guard in Howard. They have another all-conference type player in Sam Hauser, a 6'8", 6'9", you know, strong shooter. His brother Joey Hauser is, again, 6'8", 6'9". Theo John is probably the most improved big guy in the league, big, strong, burly guy. Uh, just, just a, I just like their team, uh, and offensively, and now def- finally defensively, they're playing tough. Well, the other night they won at Georgetown, and Marcus Howard played three minutes in the game. Uh, yeah, he had back problems. Left with lower back tightness. Sam Hauser had 31 points in that game. Uh, he was 10 for 21 from the field and made all seven of his free throws. Uh, if Marquette is able to win on the road without arguably the leading candidate for player of the year in the league, sure. Marcus Howard, sure. I, I think you could say that. Um, their only losses this year are at Indiana, Kansas on a neutral floor, and at St. John's. Right. Um, they've only lost one game since November 23rd. So you just look at, at Marquette and the way that they're playing and the way Steve Wojciechowski has it going right now. Um, winning at Georgetown, Kevin, you were just there. Obviously, Georgetown is much improved. Um, winning that game without your best player is, is no small feat. Yeah, and you know, again, we've talked about the balance in the Big East this year. Uh, 74-71, Marquette, who's, you know, fifth, I think they're 15th in the poll this week, uh, again, without Howard, but, uh, you know, they're not blowing teams out. No. And uh, no. I think that's what we're looking for the rest of the season in the Big East. Uh, the Friars do have uh, two of the, uh, well, the next the next couple on the road, as we said, Marquette and Xavier. Then they come home for DePaul, and then they go back on the road for two more, Seton Hall and DePaul. So four of the next five on the road here, you know, it's not really sure what to expect, in all honesty. You know, if, if you can scratch out and come out two and three, uh, you're still in decent position because this, the you know, the schedule is backloaded with home games down the stretch. It's it's not going to be a season where, you know, the Friars are in commanding. You know, they dug themselves a hole. Simple as that. Those first two home losses really come back and bite you right now when you look at four of the next five on the road. Yeah, and they played reasonably well on the road, uh, winning at Boston College uh, mm-hmm. in overtime, which was a a game where AJ Reeves really had his coming out party. Um, well, after the season opener, sure, of course, uh, yeah. but against a quality opponent. Uh, had a really good game. Winning at Texas, which was a, a really tough game, a, a sort of little bit of a fist fight that Providence was able to pull out yep. with some toughness in the second half. And then, you know, losing in double overtime to Georgetown, a, a game, Kevin, that, you know, as Ed Cooley said, and I agree with him, they had the game won twice. Twice, yeah. Uh, failed to foul at the end of regulation and then played sloppy ball screen defense that allowed James Akinjo to make it an NBA three to tie it at the end of the first overtime. Uh, so credit to Providence, uh, not only for playing reasonably well 
away from home so far, but being able to recover from that Georgetown game, that that was a real gut punch and, and something that could have lingered with them for a little while. But I think Ed Cooley, similar to David Cox uh, at URI, they both challenged their teams to respond, and both teams did so next time out. It's too early to, uh, I think Cooley said, it's too early in the season to have a pity party. You know, you, you can't, it is what it is. You know, we blew a game. Uh, it is what it is. You're going to move on and win your home games. You know, you're not going to have a successful season if you can't win your home games. And Providence got it done against Seton Hall and are now one and two at home. But uh, the road is a different, different animal. Uh, we have breaking news. A.J. Reeves was out of the boot and I wouldn't say running today, but he was shooting. So very good news. Very positive. There's no way he's playing this weekend, but you know, could he be back in you know a week, ten days? I, I could see that. Really good news for Providence. Yep. Uh, you know, one of one of the best young scorers that has come into that program since Player X. Oof, yeah, as a two guard, you know, they haven't had a big time two guard in a while. Uh, I so. mean, he's really, really good and, yeah. and adds a completely different dimension to yeah, that team. I'll be curious to see how much rust he has on his game, and obviously, he hasn't played in a Big East game, and uh, we've seen that have varying effects on you know young guys. So. There, there will be some rust, of of course, but even just his presence out there is going to help floor spacing for Providence. It could open some driving lanes for a guy like David Duke, who we yep. know he wants to get to the basket. Could give a little more space for Alpha Diallo to operate on the wing as well. No, and there's been a slew of shots in the last you know couple of weeks taken by whether it's his replacements, you know uh, Isaiah Jackson or Malik White, and they miss open threes, and you're like, hmm, AJ's knocking that one down, you know. Yeah. So, but we'll see. Um, big uh, Ivy League play finally, finally opens this weekend. Saturday, Brown will host Yale. Uh, I think we both wish that we could attend that game, and neither one of us will have a chance. But Brown uh, goes into Ivy play as confident as maybe any Mike Martin team has been at twelve and four, the twelve and four record, uh, right iron right away. You know, uh, Yale is as good as anyone in in the Ivy League, and uh, you know this is a great opportunity for Brown to get off on the right foot. Yeah, they, they've played really well so far. Uh, they've won six games in a row. Uh, obviously, their last time out was against Johnson & Wales, a, a game that just fills the schedule. As you know, the Ivy League only has 14 in conference, and they scramble for non-conference games. So they do end up with some Division threes on the schedule from time to time. Uh, Brown has played Salve Regina earlier this year. They played Johnson & Wales on Monday. They won 100-61. to wasn't really a big surprise. Uh, but the way that they played, and, and particularly the sharpness that they've shown on offense through Desmond Cambridge is impressive. He had 15 points in five minutes of that game. Mm. Uh, and, and I know that you're playing Johnson and Wales and he has a size advantage and a physical advantages and all that. But the way that he played the game, the shots that he took, the discipline that he showed suggests that he is playing about as well as he has at any point in his Brown career to date. As Brad Stevens would say, they're playing the right way. Yes. You know, making the extra pass, not forcing shots. I, I think what's interesting is... Brown has captivated their fans, you know, with this start because of their offense, uh, especially someone like Cambridge. And Mike Martin would sit here on the podcast. Maybe that's a good idea. We need to get Mike Martin on the podcast. Um, He's smarter than us, though. Should we do that? Sure. I'm willing to put it to the test. All right. You know? But he is, you know, he'll use some big words, but we'll figure them out. I mean, he's a Brown. Our, our listeners are really sharp. He is a Brown grad, after all. Yeah, but remember, your listeners are 
group here could be smarter than us. Well, that's true, too. You know, so you got to cater to your audience. I know my mom and dad listen every week, and they are certainly smarter than me. There you go. I, I wouldn't have admitted that 20 years ago. I can now. But I think Mike would say what's going to be the difference for us is our defense. Yes. And defensively, that's where I still have some questions about Brown uh, because of their lack of size, as we've talked about inside. Um, but they've played with this team for a while and, and played some teams that are bigger and stronger than they are and, and not only beat some of them, but certainly played everyone pretty tough. They, they've done an excellent job on the perimeter uh, in particular. They're fifth in the country in three-point defense right now. Opponents shoot 27.3% hmm. against them. Uh, they're 65 in Ken Palm in defensive efficiency. They allow 97 points per 100 possessions. A lot of that is the way that they guard outside. Mm-hmm. And I think once you get into the Ivy League, their roster is probably well-constructed to deal with the opponents that they're going to face. The Ivy League generally isn't going to get a 6'9 or 6'10 bruiser is going to eat you up inside like Cyril Langevin did in the Rhode Island game. The problem is there's a couple on only the elite teams. Yale, uh, Penn for sure, uh, Princeton, and Harvard. And sure enough, that's their competition. Although I tell you, the first Ivy League game has already been played. Dartmouth beat Harvard. Right, Uh, which was a big surprise. That was a surprise. So... You know, if you're going to tell me that Dartmouth and Cornell and Columbia are for real too, it's it's a very deep and competitive league. So it'll be interesting to see if Brown can get off on the right foot because, uh, needless to say, home games are huge in the Ivies. Yeah, and, and this is probably you know the best roster, the best positioned Brown has been to try to get to that four-team tournament at the end of the year. Uh, I think Mike likes his depth. Uh, he's obviously got a lead dog who could be the player of the year in the league in Desmond Cambridge. Um, you know, he's got guys who can handle the ball and who can shoot a little bit. And they've got a little bit more of an edge physically, which you know I think probably comes from Tamanang Cho, a guy who can block shots and, and sort of make those momentum plays mm-hmm. inside that, that can really change a game. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what they're able to do. Uh, they've got Yale at home on Saturday night. And the next Friday they are at Yale. I'm thinking about making the drive down to New Haven to catch that one. Uh, it should be a good take. Um, you know, And obviously a, a vital opening two weekends for, for Brown. Something that a split would be pretty oh. much mandatory if they're going to make a challenge. But if you're able to start out 2-0, you're going to be in a really good position. I think they'd sign up for a split. Uh, there's been several occasions the last couple of years where they go down 0-2 and it's, it's just a long way back yeah. when you only have 14 league games. Uh, Bryant is also back in action. They are at home uh, the next two weekends, but starting with Robert Morris. And is that uh, Saturday? Saturday as well. Saturday, yes. Monday. I think they take advantage of the holiday on Monday. I want to say they play an afternoon game on Monday, which will be uh, a kid special, I would imagine. Uh, you know, Folks can get in there you know, for a reduced rate and see them play St. Francis, Pennsylvania. In Got that it. One. Uh, and but Robert Morris is first on Saturday, and uh, you know it's similar to Brown, home games are home games, and uh, Bryant needs to grab some. Yeah, they got four straight: Robert Morris, St. Francis, Pennsylvania, Central Connecticut, and Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, all will be three point spreads or less. Uh, all legitimate coin flip games here, uh, and a chance for Bryant to sort of continue the progress that they've made. They're two and two in the NEC. Uh, played really well in a win at Mount St. Mary's, uh, as we discussed in the last podcast, Kevin. Right. Uh, a tough place to go. Uh, and then the next night, well, two nights later, at Sacred Heart, got run out of the gym 98-70. And I think the difference between the two games is Mount St. Mary's, they were able to control the tempo, and Sacred Heart, 
they were not. And, and that's been a common theme throughout their wins and losses this year. Yeah, I think they let up 51 points in the first half of that Sacred Heart game. So obviously defensive issues in the... And I, I will say that second game of those two-game two game weekend trips for the NEC teams on the road is quite a challenge. There's no toys about it. Trying to bus from Maryland to Sacred Heart, I, I can't imagine that that's easy. Just, just far. Yeah. It's just far. And probably a little cold. Yeah, maybe this yes. time of year, yeah. Bill, uh, enjoy the games, safe travels, and uh, we'll see what's up with the Pats. All right, same to okay. you. Thanks, Kevin. Take care.